0: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. I am very honored to have a distinguished guest for our episode today, Dr. Rand Waltzman. Dr. Waltzman has over 40 years of experience performing and managing research in artificial intelligence applied to domains including social media and cognitive security in the information environment. He's formerly deputy chief technology officer and a senior information scientist at the Rand Corporation in Santa Monica, California. Prior to joining Rand, he was the acting chief technology officer of the Software Engineering Institute in Washington, D.C. of Carnegie Mellon University. And before that, you did a five-year tour as a program manager in the Information Innovation Office of DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, where you created and managed the social media and strategic communications program and the anomaly detection at multiple scales insider threat detection program. Wow, there's more. We'll add it to the blog, Dr. Walsman. Mm -hmm. But first, I want to just say, I've been following you on Twitter. You put up little cartoons and a little statement, uh, and you're at CogSec, if I'm remembering. Cognitive security mm-hmm. is, is, is your, your term. You say, if, we don't, if you don't understand all these techniques, then you're at risk. And then you explain a social psychology principle. You give uh, some examples of it. And I just think everyone should be following you and learning from you because that's the only way out of this hole that we seem to be in because indeed information has been weaponized. So with that as the intro, I just think you have a, a, such an amazing body and of insight into what's been happening and this polarization effect that has been happening in, in a number of years so with that, I would like to invite you to give us your opening wisdom, please.
1: Well, I guess my opening statement would be, uh, you know, it's every man for himself, <laughs> every man, woman, and child for themselves in this environment. Because, you know, there really isn't anybody out there who's gonna watch out, who's gonna watch you back. So And uh, that's
0: a shame because we would think the government would have legislation on platforms. And keep out uh-huh. foreign state actors who've been penetrating our 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 minds—Russia, China, Iran, to name just a few—and then, you know, d- extremist groups, uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda, and white supremacists, etc. But I, I'm, I'm in alignment with you that we have to protect ourselves and our family and friends. But I also I guess I'm more optimistic that we can try to pull us pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and 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 ed, do a mass education program.
1: Well, I mean that's an interesting question. You know, people. You know, one of the politically correct approaches to this problem is what's known as media literacy training. Mm-hmm. And so, an interesting thing about media literacy training is. You know, how many people is it really likely to be effective with? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that I think that's a serious question. I mean, you know, how long have we been teaching arithmetic in schools, and how many people are really good at doing something as basic as fractions? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know, it's limited, I would say. So now you you're telling people that they should have, they should develop the same skills as an investigative journalist. Oh, or, 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 you know, an open source intelligence analyst. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't see that happening on a massive scale.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, there was a, there was a report written by the, for the uh, European Commission a mm-hmm. few years back. Yeah. And in this report, you know, they said, well, you know, there were there were three basic approaches they had to dealing with the problem of you know disinformation and manipulation through the media, mm-hmm. and one of them, of course, was you know media literacy training. That was one of them. Right, And, um, you know, another one was, uh, well, you know, all of the platforms are going to open their kimonos and provide all those research people with all the data they could possibly want to study this problem. Well, you know, that, uh, I, I think- Yeah, that they, they in, have
0: thousands of lobbyists uh, uh, to, to try to stall or prevent that. Well,
1: but I mean, saying that this is good, that they think this is the way to go, I mean, I think that tells you pretty much where, where their head is at in terms of actually taking any real action to deal with the problem. I mean, it's not, they're just not going to do it. They're bogged down in all kinds of issues and uh, it makes it impossible to do anything. Mm. But but an interesting question about this media literacy training is, you know, think about the whole idea of vaccinations and herd immunity. The question is how many people need to be vaccinated before you get this effect of so-called herd immunity? Well, I'm not sure anybody really knows the answer to that. I think that's probably a research question, but I would pose a similar question to this whole idea of media literacy training. How many people would it take and in what kind of distribution over what kind of demographics would it take for people to really you know, really get a grip on this in order for it to make a difference to society as a whole? And I haven't heard anybody pose that question And I I think it's a very interesting question. I have no idea what the answer is. I mean, this is a research problem, which Mm -hmm. I think it might be worthwhile for somebody to take
0: up. Great, and we're going to trumpet that because I think that we need to develop inoculation programs, which is what you're posting on Twitter uh, attempts to be. But I, I think if we can find some young people to lead the way to their peers, uh, and in, introduce this. I know my son, when he was in high school, was get had a whole class on on uh, the social dilemma documentary, and 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 trying to look at what is the source of information, and stop sharing before you actually read and <laughs> double check that it's actually factual. Uh, so th- there is some small efforts being made, but I really do think this is a an epidemic and we have to treat it like a mind virus because our minds can be hacked as a former cult member <laughs> that's my sore story
1: well i think the interesting thing to ask your son is well you know of of the, of the, his entire class how many people in the class did he think this really had an effect on or i mean if he talks so about a follow up study further,
0: yeah
1: well i mean that's cuz that's what you want to know Yes, and um, you know and then then there's the question like I said, well, how many does it really take to make a difference?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In,
1: the, in the society as a whole? And then, so like I said these are, I think these are unknown. The answers are unknown and these are good research problems.
0: Yes. So exp- you are one of the founding members of the Information Professionals Association. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that organization, please.
1: Well, so it's a, you know, it's a professional organization for people who work or who are interested in this area, in general area. It's a place to, you know, exchange info. So it's, it's a platform to exchange information. And um, yeah, I mean the same thing as any other kind of professional society. One of the things that we have, which I think is has worked out spectacularly well is our own, is our own podcast. So oh. we have we yes, we have a weekly Let's podcast. Let's plug it. What's yes, it called? Yes, it's called The Cognitive Crucible. Okay. The Cognitive Crucible, I recommend it to everybody. We, it's, uh, we've had over 100 episodes already, and it's been have really top people in the field, and uh, very, very interesting conversations. So I highly recommend that to everybody.
0: Great. And I so, suspect you've given a few uh, episode interviews, I, or you do I, the interviews? I, I was number one.
1: I gave the first episode. Okay. I, I, I did the first, And I did the 100th. Okay.
0: So I did the first, and I did the 100th. That's awesome. So are you comfortable talking about your perspective on how millions of Americans got radicalized to actually believe the nonsense that the 2020 election was won by Trump? Are you willing to wade into uh, any political discussion of where we're sitting right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's just... It's a good example of, the, kind of the, you know, the success you can have with these kind of techniques. You know, and, and these te- the techniques, you know, sort of the, the fundamentals of all of this stuff isn't new. It, it, I mean, the reason right? is because people aren't new. People haven't changed you know, in a very, very long time, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And,
1: and these kind of techniques have been applied to people for you know, millennia. I mean, as long, as long as we've had civilization, People have been manipulated by their so-called leadership, mm-hmm. so so that's not a new thing. The idea of that is not new. What is new today is the scale that you can do this on. Right. So I mean, things can happen much faster at a spectacularly sped-up rate, and at a spectacularly pushed-out geographic distance. Right. And you, you know I mean. Some guy, you know, something happens in one part of the world and there's news in it, and then on the other side of the world, it like almost immediately. Yes. So the fact that you have this kind of changes in, in spatial extent and compression of time, you know, I think they introduce instabilities into the system. Absolutely. And that really sort of changes. I, th- I think that results in sort of fundamental qualitative changes to the way these things work. And... um you know, it's a little bit like um, a modern jet fighter plane. Without, without you know, hundreds of computers in the plane, a human being couldn't fly, fly the plane, right? Because it's too responsive, and it, it does too much, and it does right. it too fast, and it's you know, like way beyond what a what a human being without any computer mediation could manage, right? So I think we've come to the similar situation in terms of inf- spreading information. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the only difference is we don't have the hundreds of computers to mediate and help us work it right so we're, we're flying not in a, yet not yet and we're flying mm-hmm. in a, you know basically an unstable environment right and so and, uh, and i
0: notice you advise people to read or cite certain sources that i've relied on in terms of my understanding and growth like edward bernays' book propaganda 1928 or yeah. the century of the self Documentary, which is so important to understand. You create the need and then you sell something or or make people feel like they need this person or this party or whatever, this religious experience.
1: Well, you know, the the problem is let's at the end of the day, I'm sorry to say people are just too easy. (laughs) People are easy to manipulate. It's it's just you know, I don't know. And the illusion is
0: everybody thinks they're too smart. Like nobody can hack their brain because they're too smart. I I was an extra honor student and, you know, but I got hacked. I had that momentary vulnerability. This was way before the internet was created. But my girlfriend dumped me, women flirted with me, Uh. lied to me, to my face. And, you know, within a month, I'm bowing to an altar with a Korean messiah who said (laughs) democracy is satanic. And within uh-huh. the year, fasting for Richard Nixon on the Capitol steps because God said Nixon should be president, even uh-huh. though I hated Nixon before I got recruited into the Moon cult. So, so, so that was
1: Moonie. You were a Moonie, huh? Yeah, I was.
0: <laughs> I was in the Moon cult, and I I was, you know, told I was going to, you know, help to lead God's rule because yeah. God wants a theocracy. And what we're seeing now with the Christian Right, it's the, the same players actually over the 50 years. Sure. The same people: the Council for National Policy, the Moonies. You know, Trump and Pompeo and Esper spoke for the Moonies twice now, yeah. uh, virtually, <laughs> but nevertheless said how great they were. And even though he was a convicted felon who went to jail, yeah, yeah, you know, and many women came forward saying that he raped them. You know, yeah. and uh, and now this they have their two sons. One has a gun factory making AR-15s, the other one has a <laughs> gun cult called the Rod of Iron Ministry, where he thinks we need an AR-15 to worship God and has training camps for civil wow. war. And that's my former cult. Th- those are Moon's sons? Yeah, Sean right. Moon and Justin Moon. Okay, you trained them well. <laughs> well, they're chips of the old block, unfortunately, <laughs> and they actually are at war with their mother, Jahan, oh. the survivor, with some young moon died in two thousand and twelve, uh-huh. calling whor- her the the whore of Babylon, oh. and apparently the shooter in Japan. Uh, his mother joined the Moonies and gave all the family wealth to them. So mm-hmm. apparently he was very upset with the Moonies. Couldn't get to Hak Jahan to kill her. Found out uh, Abe was speaking. And because Abe and his father and grandfather kind of gave entrance to Japan and politics to the Moonies, uh-huh. he killed Abe. Yeah. And so the Jap- but the Japanese people are angry as hell. Why? Because the Moonies were responsible for the, the largest consumer fraud scam in Japanese history. Get this, uh, Dr. Waltzman. They would scan the newspapers for obituaries, go to people's houses, knock on the door and say their deceased loved one is miserable in the spirit world, <laughs> and told them that they need to go to the bank and give money so they could do a ceremony to liberate them. And they made somewhere around a billion dollars from this, and there are scores of Japanese lawyers representing the thirty-five thousand plus victims, and, and getting their money back. But the Japanese people don't like the Moonies, and the Moon the Moonies have infiltrated politics in Japan. So it's very interesting seeing how there's nothing happening in the U.S. regarding, you know, religious cult infiltration into politics, and and our government, but in Japan, there seems to be something. Well, is that really true? Yeah. I mean, it's really true that there's nothing happening in the US? Well, there's nothing, thank you for clarifying. (laughs) Is that really true? The the American people are not in uproar against politicians who take money from cults here, whereas in Japan, Uh, they're upset with their politicians for uh, being in bed with destructive cults that harm yeah. people there. That's what I meant to say. So thank you uh, for for helping me clarify well, that one.
1: Well, like I said, it just goes to show people are just too easy. Hmm. I'm sorry. So um, I'm a mental you know, health. There's I, I, another book I want to recommend to people.
0: Please. It,
1: yeah. It's called Humbugs of the World by P.T.
0: Barnum. <laughs> Yes, there's a sucker born every minute. That have you read read that? No, I haven't.
1: Well, it's a spectacular book. I everybody should read it. It P.T. Barnum. I I think it was written. in, I think it came out 1865, something like that. Wow! But you can find it. You can find a
0: PDF of it on the internet. Okay, I will definitely check that out. We'll add it as a link to the to the blog that we do. He had a.
1: well, he had a very realistic view of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't pull any punches in his book. I mean, he really told it like it was. And you can see it. He wrote in 1865, things didn't look any different than they do today. I mean, in, in terms of people and how they are to, to, um, to manipulate. And I don't I, think it's changed any in the last two or 3,000 years in any case. So,
0: I agree, except we have a new environment that human beings are adapting to. It's called the internet and social media. Yeah. And I'm reading a book right now by a, a, an MD neuroscientist, Carl Marcy, has a book out called Rewired. And he cites all the research, especially on the effects on children, to be on social media, mm-hmm. shortened attention span, uh, lack of emotional connectedness in real life with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's so many aspects of this that's disturbing, but it seems like people are oblivious. They've just assume this is normal, but this is not normal for human beings to be online so many hours a day and, and on so many social media platforms.
1: Mm-hmm. But but the thing of it is, it's appealing to something which has existed all along in human beings.
0: Right. So, so. Right. Need for it's, it's meaning. A, yes. Who am I? Where do I belong? What do I believe? And yeah. we react to strong emotions, uh, fear and hate that take our frontal cortexes offline. So we can't think when we're feeling so emotionally aroused. And it seems like a lot of the... The mainstream media even is wanting more viewers, so they're pushing this kind of content as opposed to they could have people like you on explaining these techniques. I mean, they really are gems. And if you're listening to this and you're on Twitter, please follow at Cogsec, C-O-G-S-E-C, and check out these little nuggets that cumulatively are painting a very thorough picture of, of these um, uh, vulnerabilities, for lack of so a the, better-
1: So, by the way, these, these slides that I put up, they're from a course that I created.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. So, the course,
1: the course is called Defense Against the Dark Arts of Mass Manipulation Through the Use of New Media. Is
0: it <laughs> available, your course?
1: I, you know what? I, I, I to, to like. There's over four hundred of these slides. It, it, it's divided into like fourteen lectures, and I haven't been able to get anybody really in the U.S. interested. I've I've taught the course abroad. I had a more interesting audience. I, well, I talked, uh, but in the U.S. I couldn't get any interest, or at least I haven't been able to really so far.
0: I want to please beg you to videotape. If you haven't videotaped past no. teachings of this course and put it online, and and even ask donations, if you even in, <laughs> donate it to to your, I your group well, or I, whatever,
1: I, I have no, I haven't recorded it, but I I have done it. Tw- I've done the course twice okay. online, once in Singapore and once in the UAE. Uh huh. To Very interesting groups. I mean, it, Singapore it was it was for the ministry of defense and in the uae it was uh, some something equivalent to that so what
0: will it take for us to get you to teach it again here in the united states and, oh, I, and if, we can anybody, record it uh, yeah well if you're willing well maybe i i can do that that's
1: I, I really
0: i am really a fan of, of these <laughs> slides they're gems oh. I've I've spent you know decades reading social psychology books and uh-huh. following you know the top people and but these are really great nuggets that people should really understand and know about and honestly we start with the people who are aware and uh, of the danger uh, they've seen loved ones radicalized and transformed into like strangers. Uh, and they want to understand, how did this happen? And you explain social psychology as it applies to, to social media. It's brilliant, yeah. really.
1: Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, the, the two times I, caught, I taught the course, it was actually it worked out very well. I mean, the, the, the audience was very receptive and uh, they seemed to really find it useful. I mean, the main thing to realize is you know, the, the, the sort of the key difference between a cognitive attack and a kinetic attack and mm-hmm. right, a physical attack is yeah and in a, a kinetic attack you know you're being attacked there's, I mean if somebody's coming at you with a knife or a gun or hurling bombs at you I mean there's no doubt you're under attack right right but in a cognitive attack the whole point is that your target the target shouldn't know they're being attacked in right. order for it to be really effective right okay so that's the whole trick to keep the target unaware because if the target becomes aware that they are being attacked in this way just by them becoming aware it significantly reduces the effect of the attack just, just 100% my so,
0: experience is, is really if i do a talk for an hour and yeah. a, a, you know just telling my story and then outlining things like the influence continuum and the bite model of authoritarian control and um, and and, and, and the, the fundamental attribution error uh, of social psychology, which I'll take one moment to explain it here for our listeners, it's a bias, an unconscious bias worldwide. When people are trying to understand other people's actions, they overestimate dispositional or personality variables and underestimate the social psychological context and influences on them. And we are social beings, and we're mm-hmm. we're taking in information all the time.
1: Yes, and especially in the current environment, we're taking in masses of information all the time.
0: Yeah, and and this masses it uses the overload technique because yep. we get numb because we don't have the capacity to handle more than a small chunk at a time, and 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 people are. Are losing the capacity for deep thought because their 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 attention is getting hacked. You know, it, it yeah. really is.
1: Well, it's you know it's a matter of practice. You know, use it or lose it.
0: That is true, I mean, and that's and really as, what it comes down to. And as a sixty-eight-year-old who got persuaded to go back uh, and get my doctorate because uh, I realized the law is out of date about a hundred years in terms mm-hmm. of understanding the human mind uh, and and do influence versus undue influence and so one of the one of the professors at a forensic think tank at Harvard Medical School said you need to do a quantitative study on your on your model and show whether it has efficacy or not and yeah. I said I'm 63 I'm too old he said I'm 77 do you want <laughs> help or don't you I'll <laughs> supervise your research and so I did it but I got smarter from doing this doctoral program. My uh-huh. I, my memory improved, my concentration improved, my writing improved. Yeah. And so uh, if anyone wants to get further education, don't let age interfere with your goals at all.
1: No, no, absolutely not.
0: So uh, yes. So um, moving on for a minute if I can, um Talk to me about your understanding because you're an expert in AI and deep fakes and uh, these programs that can mimic the voices of anybody and yeah. what's coming down the pike. A lot of really bad things I'll tell you that
1: <laughs> In fact it, it it's gonna get even worse as social media moves into more immersive environments. You know, the virtual VR reality headsets. environments, virtual uh-huh. reality environments, augmented reality environments, because this this is coming. I mean, this is inevitable. Yep. So, I mean, and social media will move into these more and more into this kind of environments. And the problem is, of course, that while yes, there are many wonderful aspects of these environments, and there are a lot of great things about it. Like every other technology, they are a two-edged sword, and there's a lot of really bad, really scary features of right. these environments that, um, well, they don't seem to be getting much attention. I mean, pretty much the same way that nobody really paid attention to the downsides of social media until it was, well, until things had really gotten out of hand. Right. And um, I mean, during the years I had this program at DARPA, which ended in 2015, during hmm. the you know four or five years before that, I, I couldn't hardly get anybody interested in this at all. And the government, nobody wanted to listen, nobody was in and I kept warning people, I said, you know, if you don't start paying attention to this, it's gonna come up and bite you in the behind and you're gonna be very sorry. And then- when well, we unfortunately, are very sorry. Well, this country unfortunately, is really listened. in trouble. Yeah. I mean, the only people who I think were re- paying real attention to all this work were people who you really wouldn't like to be paying attention to it and who are willing to use it for the means that exactly I was warning about. Right. So, so they paid attention, but uh, unfortunately the authorities who are supposed to protect us, they have not paid much attention. Right, and um, it's a, it's a. I mean, the government's response has been pretty pathetic. I mean, yes. really pathetic, I would say. Yep. And and then you know, and, and while they were ignoring all of this, you know, at the same time, a whole industry has grown up, which I mean, you, it's a, I mean, it's, look, it's a mercenary influence industry. they'll they'll run influence campaigns for anybody for any subject, for for money. I mean, it's a business.
0: Yeah, a there's business. a lot of uh, mercenaries. There are hired troll farms, for example. All, all, yes, all or?
1: sorts. I mean, everything from you know well-known public relations firms, big public relations firms, people who are doing hundreds of million dollars in business, mm-hmm. down to you know, you know, two or three mad shops. Mm-hmm. It, it it spans the whole range. I mean, it is also, by the way, one of our great technology exports. Right. Is, you know, because people from all over the world are hiring our people to yeah. run these campaigns for them. Oh my God! So goodness. I mean, for example, um, it came out in 2015. It came out that the Russians had done over—I don't know—I think they booked like fifty million dollars in business with Ketchum Public Relations.
0: I think it was a hundred million over ten well, it was years.
1: A, it was, I think it was a hundred million that the Russians had spent total. But I think I think it was 50 million that was booked specific that showed up on Ketchum's books. Or at least that's it was something like that. Yeah. But but it was but it was a lot of money, just (laughs) from the Russians. Which makes absolutely good sense, right? I mean, if I were the Russians, I would have done exactly the same thing. I mean, it's great to have these guys at the Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, but those Mm -hmm. guys, I mean, they're Russians. So that means that their their understanding of American audiences. Is necessarily limited. I mean, he is, right. as clever and talented as those guys may be, there's still some natural limitation. I mean, if you're not native to the culture, right. your understanding is always going to be somehow limited, right? Right. So of course, why not hire guys who are sitting, you know, in Washington D.C. who have all the connections, they know everything, what to do. Yeah. Uh, so, of, so of course you would do that. And, well, and the Russians aren't the only ones to hire those people either. I mean, you know, the customer list of these companies are, you know. Pretty phenomenal. Once you really get down to it, mm-hmm. I mean, they hire them to do operations in the U.S. They hired people to do operations in their own countries to yeah. help them set it up. I mean, so it's um, it's a big business. Now, in, in terms of, so going back to this, uh, to the uh, immersive environments, yes, those environments offer potential to do emotional manipulation, manipulation of people that is way beyond anything that's possible in what I'm going to call clap by now classical social media, mm-hmm. like Twitter, Facebook, and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you can do some things there, but nothing compared to what you can do in a, in an immersive environment, right? Because in, in an immersive environment, you have two things which are really critical: you have what's called embodiment, and you have presence. So embodiment and presence means you know you. Basically, you're there. You, instead of being a third-party observer to something like you are on a flat right. screen, Right. you're actually put in the center of the action.
0: Right. And, it,
1: and, it, and all the channels, all the channels of attack on your system, <laughs> I'm gonna say, that, I will use the word attack, mm-hmm. are open, right? Yeah. Sight, sound, everything you can imagine. And not only that, mm-hmm. but with those kind of environments, with the kind of hardware that you're wearing, they can monitor your reactions. They monitor. They can build a complete profile of you in real time. Yeah, because those kind of biometric measurements that these systems, I mean, the ones that have exist today are relatively primitive, but you can tell what's coming down the coming down the line. Right. Right. And so they'll be able to build up psychological profiles of people in real time, which means that they'll be able to measure your reactions to everything that's happening and have the ability to make modifications and changes in real time. To respond to you to get maximum response, and they could do it on an individual basis, on a one by one basis, at a massive scale. So you have what I'm going to call the age of mass customization
0: Uh of messaging,
1: and that's good. And these things that you mentioned, you know, being able to imitate voices and um, and create characters and everything else, those are an integral part of it. Yeah, it'll make it much. It just makes things more convincing.
0: Yeah, I read somewhere where they can identify your closest friends and families and their, the image of their faces, and then take attributes of people that you know and trust and put it on other people in this environment so that you're unconsciously reacting as if they were your friends.
1: Yes, not only that, but you know, the whole concept of mimicry. So, mm. mimicry is a very powerful motivating force, right? I mean, conmen explain have it, please,
0: for our listeners.
1: So, so conmen have traditionally used this technique on on one-on-one close-up cons. Mm-hmm. So the idea is, as they're talking to you, they they begin to imitate, you know, to mimic, right. your, Maybe your hand gestures, your intonation of voice, your turn of phrase, and they'll and as the longer they talk to you and interact with you, the more and more like you they start to to become. And once they become more like you and, and mimic you more, you become more open to them. I mean, I first open, learned
0: it's, about this in 1980, Dr. Waltzman, when I studied neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, yeah. but they called it mirroring.
1: Yes, you, mirroring You mirror this. the
0: breathing, you mirror yes. the, faith, the predicates, etc. cetera.
1: So you, you learned about this in the 80s, but con have known this and used this technique for, forever. I mean, this, this is as old as the hills. But now, in a virtual reality environment, you could do this at scale. Yeah, You could do it to millions of people simultaneously. You can make it so that a politician is getting up and giving a speech in a virtual reality environment. Is, you can fix it so that every single one of those million viewers, they're looking at the same guy, but they're not exactly seeing the same thing.
0: Oh, they're wow. seeing
1: something which is very slightly modified. So I could, I could take, for example, a person's face, and I can blend some of the features All of their right. of their face into the politician's face as they're speaking yeah. and once I do that, that politician will become much more sympathetic I uh, have much more empathy towards that politician yeah. I mean this is, th- there was some really fun experiments done like this at Stanford some mm-hmm. years ago. BJ. Fogg's
0: lab or somewhere else at Stanford uh, I don't know. I, 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 I technology. Yeah. Uh-huh. I
1: think so. I have, to, I, have to, I have to. I have to. I can send you the papers. Sure. But, but they didn't do see. it in a virtuality environment. They did it with actual pictures. I mean, they, they, and they claimed in these experiments they showed that if you blended like forty percent of somebody's features into a politician's face, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be able to actually shift the election. I mean, yeah. it's that powerful that you can actually make a real difference. And they, and that was only one on one, right? I mean, they were doing that a person at a time. But in a virtual reality environment, which they did not have. I can do this, you know, at a massive scale. I mean, that's just one trick,
0: yeah, and it makes polling obsolete because, as you said, they're getting real-time feedback to your brain's yes. reactions to these stimuli, and they yes. can keep refining it.
1: but do you know that there are already companies that are doing that, okay and the, what the, the way they're doing I mean, you've you've seen these companies where they like test pilots for TV shows or commercials. Uh-huh. You know, they sit you down in front of a TV, or to have people in a theater, right? And 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 they show you a commercial or a pilot, right? And at, at periodically they freeze it and they put up a question, and you know, and ask you a question and to t- tell you how you reacted to that, right? right? Okay. Well, these companies now, these 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 new companies, what they can do is they can put you in front of a TV, but then they wire you up completely, right?
0: right. So
1: they can measure all of these biometrics, all of these things um, about you, and basically instead of having to ask you how you're reacting to these things, well, they just can measure it.
0: And people may not even know how they really think or no, feel, No, th- so this right? is
1: much better. This is much right. better because it's leaving out the interpretation part of it. I mean, you know, right. when somebody just answers a question like in a poll, mm-hmm. you don't know how people really feel. I mean, they, you don't know what how they're coloring it for whatever reason, mm-hmm. so it's not completely accurate. But in this case, well, they're measuring it and, and there you have it. So, for example, uh, there's a group Called the um, Affective Computing Group at mm-hmm. MIT at the Media mm-hmm. Lab run by the professor Rosalind Picard, mm-hmm. and it's, there have been a couple of uh, spin-offs from MIT, a couple of companies, just some other companies doing this kind of work. So this is already becoming a business. I mean, one of the most fun examples I saw, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of these guys they put up uh, case studies, you know, of, the, of projects they've done for people. Right. So they wanted to know about product placement on shelves in a grocery store. So they actually built, you know, a mock-up grocery store with shelves. Mm-hmm. And they had somebody go down the aisle who was all wired up and go to and looking at the shelves to see where their eyes, you know, right. what they were looking at, how long they looked at it, and so on and so forth. So yeah, so they could really, they could just see how people reacted to different kinds of product places instead of asking them, his right. measured so, so, so lots well, of things like that. So in, in these immersive environments, that's what you have. So I can uh, I can fine tune <laughs> my messaging to you and my manipulation of you
0: in real time. So let's let me ask you about China, who is as close to an authoritarian state using high tech AI that, that that we see in the world, where they're getting checks if they're doing socially socially acceptable behavior yes. and etc. And and we know that they have reeducation programs to try to mm-hmm. brainwash Uyghur Muslims. Mm-hmm. To, w- w- for me, the, it, it freaks me out. Not that it's what's happening in the United States isn't freaking me out. That's even freaking me out more because they're also collecting DNA from these yeah. folks.
1: Well, not only those folks, I mean, right. from a lot of folks.
0: <laughs> right. All these uh, inexpensive DNA tests, they yes. might be able to hack or create a front group that can collect it, right? Well, I'm scared I, well, to do a DNA test for this reason, honestly.
1: Well, it's, it's very hard to tell where the results are going hmm. because however much people say they're protecting your data, well, you know, it, isn't, it doesn't really work that well. People are getting, you know, all kinds of organizations are getting hacked all the time and massive amounts of data are being stolen. I mean, this is happening continuously. Right. So no matter what no matter how people say they're protecting your stuff. I mean, I I would always take that with a grain of salt.
0: Right. Just don't put anything online that you don't want broadcast is what I was yeah.
1: well, yes, I would that seems reasonable. But um, but the Chinese, I mean, the Chinese are doing a lot of work. So like for example, in computer vision, Mm-hmm. They do a lot of work in computer vision systems, but a lot and a lot of it is based on facial it, the goal is about facial recognition mm-hmm. And I read a really interesting story one time about um, one application of this. So they, so there was a, it was a, um, it was a game, some big game in a huge stadium mm-hmm. And they were scanning people as they came in the entrance you know with all the entrances they had these cameras and they were you know scanning people right And it was a guy who comes in and by the time he got to his seat, the police were descending on this guy. Whoa. That fast. It turned wow. out It turned out this guy was a wanted criminal. I mean, it, you know, not a political, I mean, he was a thief, some kind of, but you know, an ordinary kind of crime. But the right. point is he was wanted. Right. And the system that quickly, as he was coming in the door, picked him up. So that's so fast that by the time he got to a seat, they nabbed him. So wow. that's what they—that's what they put up as a great uh, application. Yeah, there
0: was this. a company Clearview or something that was doing facial re- recognition. Oh, there's a lot of companies. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yes, yes. So can it's I ask? Can I ask you it. to? I'm sorry. Keep going. I
1: know. I was going to say. I you know on my first tour at DARPA, which ended in 1991, I ran the DARPA Image Understanding Program, the Computer Vision Program. That's what I ran. Mm. So,
0: 1991. Uh, that was before the internet I hit publicly. Isn't that well, true? No. Like,
1: I don't know. I mean, it was coming online, really. It was, I see. It was pretty. I mean, you know when the first nodes of the ARPANET went online? Tell me. Tell us. 1969. What? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 1969, the first three nodes, the first three servers went online. And one of them is sitting in the basement of Belter Hall at UCLA.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One was in Utah and one was at Stanford AI Lab. Mm-hmm. And in 1969, those, those three lines went, they, they went live. And wow. boy, if you look at the history, you could see how the number of servers multiplied like crazy. Right. Until finally the ARPANET, the original name was the ARPANET mm-hmm. because it was, it was originally funded by, D- D- well, ARPA or DARPA. Right. You know, The name has changed over the years. The D comes and goes depending right. on the politics. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just Advanced Research Projects Agency, sometimes Defense Advanced Research Projects It goes a little bit change here and there. Right. But uh, but ARPA was the one that DARPA was the one that funded this thing. Wow, you and really in fact, were. I'll tell you, well, uh, but I'll tell you something. Yes. So and in fact, when that went online in 1969, that was at UCLA. I had an office in the basement of the computer center at Caltech, just down the road from there. Wow. So um, yes. So that was a wow. long time. In fact, the guy who was the director of DARPA at the time in 1969, at the time when it went online, he told me something really, I thought was really fascinating. And he said that the success of the ARPANET depended on the fact that the Department of Defense had no interest in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was a fantastic statement for the guy to make. And I thought about it and I, yeah, okay, I get it. And his, he, and his explanation, was as well, You know, had the Defense Department been interested, well, you know, there would have been like a food fight between the Air Force. They would have wanted to control the Navy, the the Army. Everybody would have been fighting over it. He said, but since nobody was interested, it was able to really flourish and develop by itself.
0: And my recollection is the 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 folks who were online, maybe I'm going to the '90s now, were feeling like the internet was a chance to rebel and to share information and. Well, but the whole
1: motivation. Well, but the whole original motivation. Mm. If you read uh, Licklider's, Licklider wrote a paper describing what became the Internet. I think the paper was '63 or '64. It was around that, but it was called "Memorandum for Members of the Intergalactic Computing Network." Intergalactic. Yeah. Wait a second. I, I, I'll tell you the exact name because I would encourage everybody to read this.
0: Hmm. Or you'll Licklider. give me the link. We'll we'll put it in the blog, and yeah. people can. Wait a second, I, I I'm
1: am I'm just. Uh, let's see, yeah, Licklider. He was in the he was in he was in the Information Processing Techniques Office at ARPA, and he's determined the, the early 1960s. But where was the, the memorandum? I always, I always forget the exact name, but it was something like, you know, Memorandum to the Members of the Intergalactic Computing Network. It, it was some name, some name like that. Yeah. I
0: believe you. Well, we'll add yeah. the link to the blog yeah. on my website. Can I ask you please, and you can decline, mm-hmm. uh, to opine about QAnon? Uh, I don't know what there's to say about it really. Well, one thing that that I came to learn when I was researching it was that uh, I talked with someone who said that he knew the first people who were doing it, and it was a goof on Trump, and then Mm -hmm. they realized they could sell merchandise and make money, and then the Russians got involved. At least that's what he, he told me. And I came, later uh, met um, uh, an alternate reality gaming technologist, Jim Stewartson, who said they're mm-hmm. using Pokemon Go, you know, to <laughs> drop little little messages to get people uh-huh. engaged as a game that then uh-huh. became live, where people were protesting in the streets.
1: Yeah.
0: You don't feel comfortable saying anything. Well, about I don't, your I don't take know
1: well i to me it's just another example of how it, how easy it is to manipulate people I, mm-hmm. I mean i you know it was an, it was a, it was a nice example I thought they did a nice job and uh, you know from they did a nice
0: job meaning an effective job at calming yeah. millions yeah. of people
1: yeah you know speaking mm-hmm. speaking as a technician yeah you know i they did a, you know they did a you know, not credi- very credible job they did.
0: And apparently, and, uh, Jenny Thomas messaged Mark Meadows to the effect of that she got infected by those memes.
1: But, but you know, to me, it's just it's just one in a long line of examples. I mean, it wasn't you know I I didn't see anything that uh, remarkable in it.
0: I see. I mean, That's... not not from a
1: technical perspective, right? So, I mean, it was just it's just one more example of the kind of things you could do. Yes. I mean, and it's worth it's worth studying as 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 a good as you know as a case study mm-hmm. of how this kind of operation works. Yeah, but there are but there are others. There are many. Yeah.
0: yeah, my research for the book "The Cult of Trump" came up with the realization there were actual cults in the cult of Trump, and it was the cult leaders of some forty million people in America who are part of this new apostolic reformation movement where they think they have to take over the government for Jesus um, but it goes back to William Lind and Paul Wyrick you know decades ago using yep. fourth generation psyops and psychological yep. warfare crap
1: yes so but that's why I say I you know I mean it was one example of su- successful application of these kind of techniques mhm I mean to me that for me that's the main interest Minutes.
0: <laughs> so what's your? I'm going to put you on the spot. Maybe uh, can't we scale deprogramming? Can't we figure out how to help people reality test what's true and what's not true, and what's real and what's a psyop? Or well, you know, I mean,
1: one thing you can, you know, when you talk about deprogramming, yeah. I mean, deprogramming, is there really any difference between deprogramming and programming? Yes. That's the first question you need to ask. Is it really different?
0: As someone who was deprogrammed, did deprogramming, then I did exit counseling, et cetera. It's fundamentally different because the aim is to ask questions to get the person to reflect and reflect on their own experiences, teaching them social psychology with with a, an aim to uh, encouraging the person to be in their bodies and reconnect with their core values versus creating a pseudo-identity in the image of the cult leader or the ideology and enforcing the pseudo-identity that's blindly obedient and will do whatever they're told. For me, it's very different.
1: Well, you know, from my perspective... The end result, it isn't that different. I mean, the the method may be it may be a little different. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that you just described, yes. Mm-hmm. But at the end, you're getting some. You're, you're trying to put somebody in a different world. Get somebody to subscribe to a different worldview.
0: See, I don't. I don't. Well, I I am trying to put myself into your shoes. I am trying to. Um, not impose my Jewish belief system or my my uh, my my model as a therapist on people. Uh, what I've learned over decades of doing psychotherapy is that that if people are given the freedom, but also the education to understand how the mind works and how social psychology works, um, they can get on a healthier path where they're not dissociated. they're in their body, in the real world, who I just realized my jacket was up. Anyway. Um, who cares? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely do not resonate with your um, uh, perception that deprogramming is alternate programming because for me, it's helping people say to themselves, how do I really feel? What do I really want? Do I like being lied to and exploited and, mm-hmm. and work you know 21 hours a day for no pay for a foreign government? Because um, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that. The whole world had been recast as a struggle of good and evil and God and Satan. And Korea was the uh, Koreans of the master race and Americans are the servants. Mm -hmm. And when people who were ex-members sat down with me and said, what did you think you were joining when you went to that first lecture? Mm -hmm. Oh, they said it wasn't religious. Well, what happened? Like, If you knew it it was what it was, would you have ever gone? And my answer was absolutely, categorically not, Mm -hmm. right? but, so, but then I go back to my original question. Please. Oh, how, how many
1: people is this actually going to work on the way you described it?
0: So that is a question of money and how to scale this, but my oh, it's more than a the, question of money. I mean, yeah. it's,
1: it's a question of the nature of people. I mean, how many people are actually have the have what it takes to really make sense out of that and to understand it the way you're describing it?
0: So, all I can say is there are now millions of ex members of these types of authoritarian cult groups who have, you know, bitten the poison apple, got, you know, sick, and now they're okay. And for me, empowering them to share their stories to help destigmatize the fact that people can be hacked and they can be programmed with ridiculous beliefs that are completely alien to their core values. Um, I, I, I I really do believe, I guess maybe I'm hopeful. I mean, I know that you have a grandchild that is is uh, playing at your house. Uh, I have a son. I'm thinking of future generations. I don't feel like I'm I, I can throw up my hands and just say it's hopeless. So, I'm going oh, I didn't say keep... it, I didn't say it was hopeless. Ah. I just I mean I'm asking the question right? because see, what I doubt
1: is yes, mm. I mean millions of people may have gone through this kind of attitude, you know, change in their their view. Yeah. But how many of them went through it as an intellectual exercise versus as a purely emotional exercise? Mm-hmm. I question a lot more. I see. So, and if it, if it turns out that it's the majority of people who gone who it was mostly an emotional reaction, then I wouldn't say they were deprogrammed, that they were reprogrammed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And reprogramming is mm-hmm. a lot, it's the same thing as programming them to begin with. Because in programming to begin with, it's all based on an emotional manipulation of various sorts mm. and, and deprogramming them if they're not taking a really, if they're not seriously taking an intellectual approach then mm-hmm. it really is another just more emotional manipulation to get them from one place to another and i now they may have gotten to the place you want but probably mostly as a result of emotional manipulation as opposed to some kind of really intellectual analysis
0: so do you believe that love is an emotional manipulation or it's something that it, you know is real
1: Well, emotional manipulation is real, (laughs) by the way. Right. How is that that not real? But
0: but what about love? Would you say that's always an emotional manipulation? Or awe or fervor? Do you think that's always uh, a result of some external force manipulating?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I. I'm not sure how I would answer that, but I, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of it does come down to emotional manipulations, to rea- emotional reactions. I mean, mostly, I think most of people's reactions to things are emotional. Mm-hmm. And most of the ways you get people to do things and to react to things, it's through emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you. But I can also say that m- most of my clients that I've worked with over four decades um when i when I, let's say they already realize the group is not what they thought it was um i need to remind them to, that emotions are real in the yes. sense that they can I- influence us and that if we for example feel like we want to um go back to college cuz the group told us to drop out that's not selfish you're your feeling of wanting to improve yourself and, and, and learn new things is not yeah. a bad emotion.
1: Well, well, but I'm not saying emotions are good or bad. I mean, emotions uh-huh. are, I mean, you know, people believed for a long time that, uh, you know, reasoning and emotions were really separate things Right. Mm-hmm. And that there was even a separate part that the brain was even, you know, physically identifiable parts in you know, the limbic system where they, had, you know, specific emotional parts, specific cognitive right. parts. And well, you know, that's, that's a lot of that been dis- debunked. Right. That, no, there actually aren't separate things and emotion. And in fact, there's plenty of work that shows that without emotions, you couldn't actually reason properly.
0: Mm. So is that, that uh, Dr. Barrett's that, work about emotions. So oh, that it, we need the a, cognitive
1: Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of work done on that mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. especially in the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Which which shows that, you know, I- emotions are an integral part of your cognitive functioning. You can't it isn't that well, if I could only overcome emotion, I would be I would be a much better, you know
0: No, it's I would not do that much better analysis. All. And it is it isn't work like that. That's right. just
1: this was this was wrong. Right. So yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, emotions are real, and you know, when you talk, you know, manipulation is a, is a word that has a lot of negative association with it. But I, I, to me, it's just, it's just it's like mechanical. It's just it's a technique. Mm. Uh-huh. It isn't a good or a bad thing. I can you know, in, if, instead of a man, manipulation, what about afterwards, you know, induce? Mm-hmm. I mean, induce an emotion in you.
0: Or elicit okay. an emotion. Elicit yeah, an that, emotion that has a little less sound emotional uh, yeah. twinge to it. But Dr. that's Wilson. but that's nonsense
1: because it's the same. I mean, you're saying it's same. it's just not another word for the same thing.
0: Right. Good right?
1: point. Elicit emotions, induce emotion, manipulate the emotion. it's the same thing, just different words. Right. So, so then you know. So what is it? So, so these things aren't negative. They just this is just how people work
0: yeah and you can and you can deal you can work with that <laughs> right so um we're we're wrapping up, and I wonder if there's any parting words you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, beware of
1: the metaverse.
0: <laughs> I totally agree
1: that's my parting words, yeah, you know how what are you gonna do to insist, okay? The government dropped the ball on so, on you know classical social media. What are you going to do to get them to actually have some kind of, to do something when it comes to the metaverse, when it comes to virtual reality, immersive environments? Are we, are
0: we going to make the same mistake over and over again? It appears that um, probably, <laughs> it, it appears there really needs to be an understanding that we're talking about planetary survival and quality of life and human rights. Yeah. To me. Because if we don't stand up for human rights and help each other, um it's it's looking dark. And I don't yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's uh,
0: you know, I mean, people are just, you know, this just lining up to be victims, essentially. Mm. Well, thank you very much for all your work. And I really do want to encourage you to do that course because I would like <laughs> selfishly to take it. But I'd like to share it with all of my listeners, and there's a lot of former cult members out there that are uh, realizing that their negative experience—and it may have been decades ago—could actually play a role in a way, kind of like an immune system response to the to the human body politic. That mm-hmm. hey, it happened to me. Don't be so confident that it can't happen to you, and beware. Like uh, it. it-
1: let me tell you something even people who study this for a living mm-hmm. and who deal with this for, are, are fooled all the time mm-hmm. you know people still take it in, when they see the cost a dollar99 instead of two dollars they still have they get the right reaction even they know they know that they're being <laughs> they're, right. they're being manipulated it, it still happens because these things are they're, they're, they're so buried into your system yeah that deeply parts of your system and so to try to overcome these things. is really, really hard. Right. I mean, an interesting problem, a really interesting problem is how, you, how can you detect instances of attempts at this type of manipulation in, for example, an immersive environment? Mm. How do you see it coming? And it, it turns out, well, the more you think about it, you'll see that it is very difficult mm. to determine. Mm-hmm. But but if there's going to be any kind of system that offers you any protection at all, that's the problem that you're going to have to be able to solve. Right. And and part of the thing that makes it, you know, even if you look at the simple version of it, or what you might think is a simple version of it, like some really overt attempt. Right. Like somebody was telling me about a cartoon, a a version of uh, I don't a, a version of some fairy tale, a new a new version. Uh-huh. Where, where the fairy is like a you know, Tinkerbell kind of fairy, where the character is black and overtly gay, hmm. okay? So, obvi- so there's a message there and it's not hard right. to miss, right? I mean, so that's really an overt example, but mm-hmm. how easy is it really to detect that that's an overt me- scheme to message you? Mm-hmm. Because in order to do so, I mean, put yourself in the position of a machine right. to do that automatically. Now you may know a lot of things about gay issues. You may know a lot of things about racism. You may you're going to know a lot of things before you're going to recognize that overt mm-hmm. attempt to, to message you, mm-hmm. right? But that's right. a lot of stuff that do you that you have to have as a background, right? To, totally. Even to get that. Now, yeah. if you take more subtle things, like you put, like suppose that you have a soap opera which goes on for many many episodes. Yeah. And there are little things, you know, what the, what the producers, are, what the, the director is trying to get you to do is to identify in some way with one of the characters to become right. sympathetic for some action that they take to get you to do. But it's, imagine that it's built up over a long, over, you know, 20 episodes, mm-hmm. right? Their initial seed is planted in episode 19. And then, you know, there's a few other little things dropped so by the time you get to episode 42. Mm. And then all of a sudden the character takes an action which now, because of this kind of preparation, you you think you you think is perfectly natural and acceptable, right? Which otherwise you might not have. So how are you going to? How would you get a machine to detect that automatically? Well, that's really really hard. Right? I mean, I see. I mean, the example with the with the fairy was hard enough in a cartoon, right. which was overt. But this is. I mean, this is really brutal. Mm-hmm. Because first of all, it's built up over time, which means that right. it's not, you know, with the fairy in the cartoon, you know, one one look at it and you and you have the message. Right. It isn't something that has to be built up over time. But this, what I just described, this is a, so that means that you have to have you have to build up the temporal context. Yeah, you inter- have to
0: incremental influence. Uh,
1: yes, I mean, because the whole message, the whole scheme to do the messaging is built up incrementally over time. Mm-hmm. So it's just. You know, if looking back at it, somebody may say, Oh yeah, you know, I saw it. there was that thing that happened and it's it was seemed a little bit out of place, but okay, I ignored it. Right. And then another thing that happened, well, it was a little bit out of place, but I ignored that. And, and right. so on. And then by the time you get to the end, well, you've added up a lot of stuff and
0: Yeah. There you go. So as you were describing that, I was thinking of a five-minute clip a friend showed me from a uh, video game. I think it was Assassin's Creed. That was an actual hypnotic induction <laughs> in the video game, yeah. and he wanted to know my professional opinion as someone who studied hypnosis. And I'm like, "Holy crap! Oh. This is a commercial oh. game." Okay, now think about how you would
1: achieve the same effect in an immersive environment. You have much <sighs> greater—you possi- have a much greater possibility to do that in an immersive environment.
0: Yeah, I'll add one more vulnerability that seems to be happening uh, culturally, and that is the use of psychedelics. Yes, and I,
1: the most one of the most interesting thing I read recently. Yes. Okay, so in, a psych, in, a, in the psychotherapy community, of course, as you know, in the last years, they've been experimenting with micro dosing of LSD and psilocybin and right. so on and so on. So somebody asked the question, could I achieve the same effect? Could I induce self and, you know, what was um. An SET
0: self experience, sorry, I can't help you with that particular anyway, one.
1: It's some, something that uh, you know you get supposedly in a psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Transcend, yes, self transcendence, a self transcendent mm-hmm. experience, an STE. That's what it is. Okay, a self. Can I induce a self transcendent experience similar to what you get in microdosing in, in and therapy? By putting somebody in an immersive environment without the drugs,
0: I would say ex- probably uh, these
1: experiments showed that more than probably, uh-huh. <laughs> it showed, it showed that You could actually do a pretty good job of it. Mm-hmm. So ima- and, and you know, there's a paper where they described this they experiment in great detail with how they how they did it. And I think you can even actually try this thing that they uh, described. Mm. But the point is, imagine if you can, if you could elicit a similar effect. In a virtual reality environment that you can by d- drugging somebody, you know that's got to already tip you off that there's something more going on there than you really really like to know about.
0: Yeah, definitely. So mm. I'm hoping you know whoever's listening to this will it's, <laughs> and has kids or grandkids or just <laughs> cares about planetary survival and quality yeah. of life. Um, yeah. This is this is a problem worth addressing. ASAP, and Rand Walsman has a lot of ideas because he's been doing this for decades and decades. Dr. Walsman, thank you so much for well, granting well, me this interview.
1: Well, thank you for having me, I appreciate it.
0: Okay, take care.
1: Okay, bye.
0: What an amazing man. I wanted to share with with you an email follow-up email from him where he gave me the link to Licklider's original description in 2001 of what he thought the internet will become, as well as a link to P.T. Barnum's book, Humbugs of the World, that he talks about. Both links will be included in the blog that will contain the video of our interview. Uh, Also, I just wanted to read Uh, He said, and don't let my cynicism and seemingly hopeless attitude get you down. If I really thought it was that hopeless, I wouldn't continue to fight on as I do. So, um, (laughs) he, he closes out the email with, after all, Nikos Kansazakis wrote in his book, Zorba the Greek, Life is struggle, only death is not. So as long as we are alive, we keep fighting the good fight. Hopefully, I haven't traumatized your listeners too badly. Best. So please, let's have hope and let's roll up our sleeves and let's work together for a better world. Thanks. That's it for today's episode of the Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at igotout.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.